everybody to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G, here with Rob from Flying Tiger Brewery. We are on location. They are closed to the public, but we were able to get in here for a little little private um, podcast recording. So thank you so very much for that. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, we're excited for you to be here. I appreciate you making the drive up. Most people don't come from, <laughs> we, you know, Monroe is a great town. We, and, and as you said, when you drove us, you didn't realize how big Monroe I is. I did not. And so Monroe's actually got a lot going on. It's got a lot of fun stuff. We love this city. We're proud of it. But South Louisiana doesn't know much about Monroe and doesn't really come up here uh, much unless there's an, a business occasion or a wedding or a funeral. <laughs> and so <laughs> right. we're not the biggest uh, tourist destination as far as when we're talking about South Louisiana. There's a lot of the reasons to go to South Louisiana. We know those. There's Baton Rouge is the capital. We've got government stuff. We've got LSU. We've got New Orleans and all the things that that means with the mm-hmm. With the Saints, the Pelicans, Bourbon Street, Mardi Gras, et cetera, et cetera, Jazz Fest. And so we don't have a ton of stuff to draw the people who are down there to come up here. So I've got a lot of people that love our beer uh, in South Louisiana. I will, I'd love to, you know, do a little shout out to Baton Rouge and New Orleans, both. Um, which have treated Flying Tiger just like we're a hometown brewery. You know, they, they have a good uh, attitude towards craft beer and towards what they consider local. And basically, if you're in the made and produced in the state of Louisiana, they treat you like local. And, and they've done a great job doing that to us. And so, but I've had a lot of guys that love our beer and love our stuff and say, man, one day I'm going to make it up to the brewery <laughs> and stuff. So, uh, but as you can see a little bit about our brewery in the background, you know, we've got it. We, we, and we have a huge we're one of the few places that have really a huge outdoor space here we're on a corner with this huge corner lot fenced in with patio and outdoor dining area etc so we've got a nice place for you to come visit if you happen to be coming through monroe just stop in we're right off the freeway well you are right off the interstate so you're right off 20 and when i got here it was a super it was easy drive i mean i left baton rouge around 4 15 so I got here for about 722 or something like that. So it wasn't a bad drive, and there was hardly any traffic. So for Baton Rougeans, we know we love no traffic. Right. So, I mean, it was an easy drive, well worth the drive so far. I've had some of your product before. I'm excited to drink what we've got here tonight. Um, but for those that, you know, in Baton Rouge and may not know of Flying Tiger Brewery, what are y'all, what kind of beer do y'all have? Let's let's get some background going. Yeah, so uh, a little bit about the name Flying Tiger. We we take our name after the Flying Tigers from World War II. You can see the uh, shark nose. Uh, oh, sorry. You can see the shark nose uh, P40 uh, nose of the plane in the background. I hope you can see that behind us. Uh, those are obviously an iconic you know plane from World War II. The Flying Tigers kind of made that plane famous. They flew it. Uh, without going into all the details, but the Fly- Flying Tigers were a fabulous story, a great story from World War II, one that um, uh, actually I think Louisiana people should know more about. And so what I would say is go ahead and Google later Flying Tigers, AVG, Wiki page. There's a plenty to read there. Uh, but what you want to know is this, that uh, General Chenault, who was the commander of the Flying Tigers, was a Louisiana boy. He graduated from LSU. He's listed on the LSU page uh, as one of their top uh, alumni, their top 10 alumni. Uh, They've got one of these planes, not exactly like that, but painted purple and gold inside the LSU bookstore. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's a big hanging thing there. And again, that's that association that they're tying the university with these flying tigers. Uh, After the war, General Chenault uh, came to here to Monroe and lived here, and this is where he was residing when he passed away. 
Um, so we have the Chenault Aviation um, and Military Museum here in Monroe. Uh, okay. It's run by his granddaughter, Nell Calloway, and uh, they have a wing dedicated to the Flying Tigers. And there's a lot of things around the state named Chenault. We have several here, of course. We've got Chenault Golf Course, Chenault Park. Uh, we've got the Chenault Museum. You go to Lake Charles, they have the Chenault International Airport. They've got one of these, also one of these Flying Tiger uh, P-42s hanging uh, at the USS Kidd in downtown uh, Baton Rouge. It's part of that display there. Uh, it's on the other side of the wall, so you kind of have to go on the tour to see it or peek through the fence. So all that's to say, we took our name after that to pay homage to this group and to kind of celebrate all the Louisiana connections that we had to the Flying Tigers. Uh, we did seek the blessing of uh, Miss Callaway and the family uh, just to make sure they didn't think we were doing something that was disrespectful or flippant or something. And she was all on board. Anything to kind of keep the legacy alive of the Flying Tigers and maybe tell the story a little bit so a younger generation who know nothing about World War II or the Flying Tigers and their significance. Right. Um, maybe we'll go tonight and wiki this and do a little reading <laughs> about them. And so she was all for it. We're, we're corporate sponsors of the museum, of course. And so um, anyway, uh, that's, that's the reason why we have that name. <clears throat> we chose Monroe, of course, because it's our hometown. My partner, uh, James Simpson, who does all the brewing and handles all that, and I want to talk about that later, but <clears throat> who handles all that, and a, and a third gentleman, David Johnson, and I uh, founded the company. We're all, we all live here in Monroe, West Monroe, um, and when we got ready, we started planning this brewery, oh, 2014, 2015, you know, we looked on the map and we just realized that, you know, Monroe had a lot going on, but they didn't have a brewery. And there was a brewery void in the north part of the state. The only brewery that was open at that time as we were in planning uh, it, it was Great Raft over in Shreveport, which is, okay. you know, 90-something miles away. Right, so way, that was the closest. way north of here. Yeah, well, way well, uh, west, west on yes. I-20 in Shreveport. So they were the closest one, and we thought maybe that northeast Louisiana uh, could use one. Mm -hmm. And so that was the initial... You know the initial thoughts uh, behind starting the brewery. I love it, and it's like like you said. When, when, whenever I got here, people don't typically come out to Monroe. It's not the quote unquote touristy destination, but it seems like it's starting to get something to bring people here. I mean, the Flying Tiger, not only the brewery, but everything that you'll have going on here is kind of hopeful to say, "Hey, come check all this stuff out," because I find that really fascinating about all the World War II connections and how you've kind of pieced that together with the city that you're in. Well, and, and, and I appreciate that. We, there's a lot going on in downtown. Uh, we've been talking about the renaissance of downtown Monroe for quite a while. It, 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 and the reality is it's happening, but not at the pace that you might be if you were in some Nashville or Dallas and something took off in an area. Those, that area would have a transformation a lot quicker. Still right. slower, but it's still going on. It's moving in the right direction. There's a number of restaurants and um and bars and stuff in this area to help kind of you know attract people to come to this area which had been kind of dead for a long time and uh, it's slowly but surely happening and so we're part of that and we're, we're, we're glad to be part of it yeah I love it I, I love it a whole lot and I'm I want to get Monroe more on my map of travel destinations and coming out here I love the golf so you've got a golf course out here you've already got me coming yeah. back for round two <laughs> Awesome. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, we'll, we'll host you, and maybe we'll be open at that time, too. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So I want to get um, – so y'all opened up in 2016, and y'all been brewing craft beer, and now you've got even a seltzer. Correct. 
So before we get into that, how have y'all kind of managed throughout this this COVID situation? I know obviously we're closed here. So what's y'all? What are y'all doing to kind of combat that? So that, it's a tough. So for breweries, uh, it's a, it's kind of a it's a double edged sword. It's not just your tap room. So here's the thing that people may not know about a craft brewery up to a certain size. Really, a craft brewery pays its bills and keeps the lights on with the tap room. Right? Mm-hmm. We make the beer. We sell you the beer. Right. We have the most potential to make money and that money is used to fund the rest of this operation so to speak not a lot of money's made off of distributed beer that beer that goes out the back door to the distributor that ends up in grocery stores and bars and restaurants at our level of volume is what i'm trying to say mm. it doesn't what i'm not saying it's not profitable but but the margins are thin and you spend a little bit of money out there doing some marketing or hiring a salesperson it's it's you got you have more fixed costs uh, that's right filled in with the distribute distribute that the distribution side of the beer that's correct and so those costs are there and, and you don't really you need to get to a, a pretty uh, you know nice level of distribution before that really becomes uh uh pays off so the the now back to your question about covid well a lot of restaurants and bars were closed down for a while. And although they're slowly opening back up and some have picked up steam, they're not quite back to where they were. So that also affected our volume out the back door. So um, what we relied on heavily during this time was to go sales. And we're very thankful for the support we got. Uh, James, uh, again, our brewer, did a, 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 a number of um, one-off beers or new beers that we only released in the tap room. So even though we weren't open, if you wanted to pick Pick up a four-pack of one of the juicy variations that he made. He's made a couple. The first one was a blood orange, sold out. This is uh, blackberry coconut, and I look over there, Ooh. and there's not much of this left. It'll probably sell out this week. Okay. Um, but what we did was we we didn't release these in distribution. So if you wanted one of these, you needed to come to the to the tap room. So we did a couple of variations of some beers that we do. We did a double dry hop, final resting place. Uh, and we made these seltzers during COVID. And the seltzers are the only place you can get them are, are here at the brewery. You want to grab a six-pack, you got to come here to get it. Um, it. Part of that strategy, but part of it is also you know, we're still trying to perfect the, uh, the seltzers before we put any out locally or anything like that. Um, but that was a big help, him doing that. Uh, we, we drove some traffic here, and we had some decent days during that time, which meant a lot to us to kind of keep it going. And, you know, as a business, you have a couple of options. I mean, you either got to, you, you know, if, you're, if your revenue's cut off and you've got set fixed expenses, I mean, you don't really have much options. It's either got to come out of your pocket or you got to get a loan. Right. And when we were able to get, a, a, you know, an SBA small loan. Uh, which is very helpful and will kind of get us through there. We did get a little pay protection money that we were able to keep employees on uh, on board during that time as well. Uh, but that's still another loan at some point at the end of the day has got to be pack, paid back, you know, right. monthly. So you got to get people back in the door. We got to get people back in the doors, which kind of leads me to a sensitive area about COVID and bars and particularly i want to i'm saying breweries you know mm-hmm. we've never been open past you know 10 o'clock anyway uh during the week in fact we closed at 9 11 on fridays and saturdays so we weren't your late night kind of bar hopping spot we had a nice crowd we had fun events we did have people in here and, and that mattered um and, and you know so currently it's the 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 formula that the governor's given, and I want to say this up front, Flying Tiger believes in wearing masks, having masks. We made masks. We sold masks. We logoed some masks. We want you to wear a mask. We pr- we're, we're, 
one of the only places that I've been that has this number of uh, when the month we were open in June. We got open briefly during June, and then everything got shut back down again. Right. During that time, I mean, we probably had one, two, three, four, five, at least seven sanitation stations with hand sanitizer. Uh, we were cleaning tables. We were doing the social distancing. We removed tables, spread them out, removed bar uh, uh, stools, limited our capacity on the inside and outside, uh, and it was working fine. Then we had this spike this summer, and and things got closed down. Um, my problem with th this situation is, and I'm just going to be blunt, is that, you know, not everybody plays by the rules. And I'm not talking about bars and breweries. I'm talking about restaurants that are back open. Like, you know, I don't know what the rules are. But currently, I can go to my favorite spots, and it's elbow to elbow. There's no tables missing. There are people packed at the bar, and I'm happy about that. Let me make this clear. I'm happy about it. I want them to be open and making money. Right. But here I am with crickets chirping and they're elbow to elbow. You can't tell me that that's any different than my place uh, of business. I'm willing to open with, with social distancing in place. Uh, but, you know, so we've got this, this formula that we have. And I, I'm, I'm not picking on the formula. Uh, but the formula is it's a 5% positivity rate, which is determined by this. The number of tests given each week by the number of positive tests. So you take the number of positive tests, divide it by the overall take, right. less than 5%, which is 1 out of 20. So if 1 out of 20 test positive, we're not going to be open. And it has to happen two weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. 1 out of 21, we're open. But 1 out of 20? We're closed, and we have to have that two weeks in a row. I had a friend who joked the other day and said, hey, what we need to do is just do a little rally and get everybody who we know is not sick to go down and get to, <laughs> go ahead and take the test and wash Del Paris so we can get this right down uh, and y'all can open. Because there's a lot of people understand that everyone wants to be serious and everybody wants to be safe, but it's elbow to elbow around here, and I'm empty. And that rubs me the wrong way because I feel like it should be applied across the board. I do understand the young people went out to the bars and I know that, but you know, there's adults going to bars, you know, as well that are responsible. And so right. I think you have to apply it across the board. A restaurant, in my opinion, honestly, is no different than a bar. Right. If, if, if there's no, if there's no separation of people, yeah, <laughs> you know, if you're every other table, that's right. But if every table is full and the bar is full, Eh, I don't think that's fair to me. I don't want them not to do it. I just don't think it's fair to the breweries. And so Washita Parish, for whatever reason, can't get below that 5% rate. My other concern with that, and I'll, I'll get off the COVID thing, <laughs> is that that people who are being tested now, and, the, and, and this, is, this is my opinion. I don't know if I've got you know statistics that I've researched to back this up, but I feel like we're at a point now that only people being tested are people who think, A, they've been exposed, or two, they don't feel well and feel like they're symptomatic of it. Mm -hmm. So that's going to make that 5% harder to get to. Right. If everybody goes, oh, my God, everybody go out and get tested, we'd be under 5% because we don't have 5% of the population here with it. <laughs> and yeah. so we'd get under it. So I, that's another thing. I'm like, I'm scratching my head going, this 5%, I don't know if we're ever going to get back open. Mm -hmm. And maybe nobody's are, talking about it because yeah. the breweries aren't enough of us, and there's not enough of us hurting, you know, uh, to, to, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the, uh, gets, the, uh, gets the grease. And maybe we're not being squeaky enough, but maybe somebody down in Baton Rouge will see this, and, you know, maybe we need to get to talking about how to apply this rule across the board and not single out bars. Even though Flying Tiger is not technically a bar, we're a manufacturer with, with a tap room attached to it. The only thing you can sell in a distributing brewery, and this is an important point, is the beer you make on premise. So I don't have any liquor. I don't have any wine. I don't have any outside other beers or products to sell.
sell. I can only sell our stuff. I can sell non-alcoholic stuff, of course, but we're not a bar. But I understand how people feel like this is a bar at the same time as well. Right. But the breweries are kind of in the pinch here. And we do a lot to drive income and tourism. You, we mentioned Monroe as a destination. I, everywhere I go, somewhere new, I Google breweries. Mm-hmm. And I see what's there. I see if anything catches my eye. Or, oh, I've heard of this one. I want to try this beer. I go there. That happens here. Right before, literally, we were about to start this, and the phone was ringing. Mm-hmm. Right? Somebody's calling to find out we're open or what our hours are. And we get those calls all day long. Again, I'm not whining. I'm just saying we got to play fair. We're just having a conversation. We're having a conversation. About, we understand right. the seriousness of it, but we also got to say, got to balance that with at least p- applying the rule to everyone. Right. Can't just pick out people. And, and that's my struggle with it. Yeah, and on the, on the topic of going to different cities and even in your own state and looking for breweries, that's what I have a fascination with. Of if I'm going on a vacation, I'm going to look for a brewery, a distillery, whatever they have there that's local, that's what I'm drinking. You know, every restaurant, every right. place I go, I'm just like, what do, you have, what do you have that's local? What yep. do you have that I can get domestic or whatever any day long. But as long right. as you've got something local, great. If not, cool, you know, bring me an ultra. Yep. But other than that, it's ultra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just lost credibility, oh, Patty man. G. All right, all right, we're I we're done. We're done for the night. <laughs> so, but breweries are however they're they're fascinating because you can go and tour them and you get to learn about the process behind it, you know. And so, what do y'all offer tours before COVID? Were y'all touring the facility? What does that kind of back end look like before COVID hit? You know, that's a great thing. We haven't we we always welcome tours. Mm-hmm. We didn't make it a part of our formula probably to just you know set tours up. Probably maybe we should. Uh, one of the things that I find fascinating that there's people that come in here and as you look around, you don't see anything that says brewery in here really as far no. as the atmosphere. I mean, all you got you need some hot plates. You can make this a restaurant. I mean, we we have we we tried to create an ambiance in here that's a little bit different. Uh, Excuse me. One of the one of the sorry about that. One of the <laughs> that, that seltzer is effervescent. Made me uh, come up a little bit. What what a lot of people and since they can't see this on camera, but you mm-hmm. can. This back wall. Right. No one knows that on the other side of that wall is a massive manufacturing facility for beer. Some people come here not often, but don't realize that we're making all this beer at, right over here. And, and most breweries have a clear glass view of what's going on. That wasn't in place here, and in, in order to put that glass in, uh, they would have changed the rules about this building. It would have, it would have, since it's a firewall, and we'd have had to put sprinklers throughout the building. Every single part would have to have sprinklers. Right. And at the time, we just needed to get this place open and didn't have, well, you this, know. This really adds to the ambiance of this brewery in here. I mean, you walk in here, and you feel, I mean, it's got a unique feel to it. And I love the feel that it has because it's not, you know, glass and up-to-date and modern. I mean, right. it almost takes you back in time and gets me thinking, what was this building before the brewery took, got here? Yeah, I know. We've thought a lot about that, too, and done some research and can't find out exactly what it was. I know at one point it was an auto parts place. Uh, but the camera's pointing this way, so they can't see some of these walls on this side. But that plaster, that concrete, we didn't chip any of that. When I tell you this is exactly the way it was when we walked in here, uh, this is exactly the way it was as far as these wall treatments are. We didn't do anything to them uh, other than those front walls with the wood. Yes, that was uh, some garage door, so we did have to build in that storefront I got up you. front. But um, Okay, so from the production side of things, how many beers can y'all produce in a day? What's okay. y'all's output? So that's a great question. So it's not as simple as how many you can put out in a day. So to we have uh, – 
for those who want to know a little bit more, but I won't go into the, to, to the boring details. It, our system is a 15-barrel system. That means our brewing equipment mm-hmm. holds 15 barrels, which is 31 gallons in a barrel. It's about 450 gallons of beer per batch. Okay. okay. So that batch to brew beer without going through the whole process is about five, five and a half hours from the start to the finish. Now, okay. when you're done, it's not beer. It's just sugar water that goes into the fermenter, and there's yeast added, among other things, uh, that create the final product. That conversion from sugar water to alcohol, and that's a very simplistic way, but depending on what style of beer it is, is going to take anywhere from two to four weeks. Okay, so, so two to four weeks from the time we have sugar water, you add the yeast, now we've got beer. In a simplistic way, yes. Okay. Uh, Over simplistic way. So anywhere from two to four weeks. Now... They'll brew sometimes back-to-back. They've done triple brewing days where that's a long, long day. That's a 16-hour day. It is, and they've had them before. Um, uh, If there's anybody from a brewery watching this, they would be shocked to know the size brewery we are and the production of the beers that we have that we get out in the market that two people back there do everything. That that would blow people's mind. Two people. Two people. Everything from brewing to cellaring to canning to everything. Two people. Counting my partner James and him and one other guy, that's mind blowing. If you, it, 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 there's people with the breweries this size at least have eight people back there working and doing this stuff, and part of that is kind of a little financial pinch that we're in with COVID. I mean, we got to be real careful. We got set of expenses mm-hmm. and we got a greatly reduced income, and right. so James and Nate, uh, uh, who uh, really kind of borne the brunt of that on their shoulders back there you know i do marketing and, and, and sales and a lot of that slowed you know so i i you know i'm not you know there's a part of me that feels bad that you know that i, I you know that i can be back there but i'd probably be more in the way than i would be any help is, to be honest with you I, I do like to help them when they're doing canning and stuff uh back there but it's it, you know it's, it creates a long work week for the two of them just to keep up with what we have now as well so my hat's off to them. So if you're local and you know James and Nate, man, you got you to gotta know what these guys are doing. And, and if you're in a brewery and you know, and I just tell you that, you know the beers we produce and what we do, and I tell you two guys, not three, not a part-timer, two guys do it all, that's amazing. Absolutely. So how, so from that one, that one batch, how many cans will you get out of that? Well, I, I used to be able to tell you that off the top of my head, but I have to get my calculator out. So there's going to be a little bit of loss and all that. And I mean, if you want to go straight to cans, but if I just r- roughly, what does what, what that end product look like from your first batch? How much are you shipping out from there? Uh, I mean, it's going to be, gosh, James would be better at this than I would on telling you the exact math, but 450 gallons times 128 ounces divided by 16 ounces would be 3,600 big boy cans. Tall boys. Yeah. Okay. So it would be so 3,600 3, cans. Okay. And now, now, obviously, we don't – currently, this is more true, but in the past, it wouldn't all go to cans. It would go to kegs because some places want the beer on draft. We have it on draft up here. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's split up. It's not always cans. Right. And 450 gallons is gross. That would be your – you'd have some waste and some loss and some other things in there, so you don't get that quite uh, – but I would say you'd get probably 3,000 of those cans for sure. Okay. So going more to the, the behind the scenes of how did y'all – I mean, how did you get started 
doing this? So really, this is James. My partner James was, uh, you know, he had, uh, it was uh, a craft beer guy. It was still early in the game of craft beer. Uh, he, but he was that guy that was drinking other beers and trying some craft beers. And he went to his brother-in-law's house over in Texas, and he had a homebrew kit. And he said, man, this is fascinating. His wife uh, uh, was was a good listener, picked up on that, and gave him a homebrew kit for Christmas. Okay. And this several years ago. And he started homebrewing and uh, was making good beers. And I was coming over uh, drinking beers. James, by the way, I, in, a, in a life a long time ago, I used to be a youth minister at a church. James used to be in my youth group. Now, I don't know what this <laughs> says about my youth ministry or not. but, uh, but uh, Drove him drinking. <laughs> that's right. But uh, James is a great brewer, makes great beer. Uh, and has done a great job. I'm at his house drinking beer, and James and I had actually a couple of times, both of us, I think, had this little entrepreneurial itch that had not been scratched. And so we'd had a couple other ideas. We had some restaurant ideas that I thought were really forward-thinking and still, I think, are, are, could be done today. We just didn't have the capital, and we just kept, both of us had jobs, and, and, we were, and, and I was doing things, and he was doing things, and our paths would cross again here and there, and we'd hang out. And uh, I was doing something else, and James had this idea for, uh, you know, bringing a craft brewery. And, you know, if there's a beer geek in the deal, it was him, right? I mean, he, he was really into it and was making beer. And uh, when the name Flying Tiger came up, that's kind of when I got excited because that scratched my entrepreneurial itch, right? Mm. Like, I can't make beer. I mean, I could have by now learned to do it with him, but really that's right. his area. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I, I, we, I leave that to, to James to, to be the creative. For, and he listens to us, too, though, as a group. We have ideas. We share them. And so, sometimes he loves our ideas. Oh, was that me? I think I should watch. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think Siri thought I was talking to her. Maybe. Uh, anyway, um, you know, he listens to our ideas, and what, and, and, but he's also got his finger on the pulse, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so James wanted this, but I got entrepreneurially interested when the name Flying Tiger came up. And I real, then I realized the connections we have. Even locally, one of them that I missed was um, our local university, uh, the ULM uh, Warhawks, um, uh, Chose the name. They had, used to be the UL, They used to be Northeast Louisiana Indians. Okay. That wasn't politically correct, and they were asked to move away from that name. And so when they rebranded and came back, they came up with the name Warhawk. And what? And in part, in a large part, actually, was because this is a P-40 Warhawk plane. Now, if you go out to ULM, the, the Warhawk, the bird that's their mascot, wears a pilot's outfit. They have a golf cart that has the shark mouth on it that they drive around like a little plane. They, they use all this sort of flying tiger imagery in their branding. And so um, when I realized, getting back to the beginning of this company, and I realized what the connections were and how significant they were to Louisiana, to Monroe, and throughout into LSU and Baton Rouge, I thought, man, we got, we got something, you know, we got a brand. I think it might have some legs to it. This isn't, this isn't, you know, Jimmy's Brewery and this ain't Bob's Brewery. Right, it's Flying Tiger. We've got, we've got a story that's a real story. It's not our story. It's an actual historic story that we can hang our hat on and we can tell, and we can take, we can take that and, and do that um, and, and tell that story, keep that legacy alive. And um, so I got interested in that. That got me excited, right? You know, as far as branding and merchandising and marketing, uh, I don't do it all by myself. We've got a team of people. We've got one guy who has, you know, taken our thoughts, 
and created every can design that we have, every uh, poster, can, artwork been created by one guy, uh, Jason Byron Nelson. I want to do a shout out to him. He's got an art show coming up here in Monroe at Parrish Restaurant. Check him out. Um, I don't want you to steal him from my business, but he's because he's good <laughs> and I can afford him. Um, but uh, <clears throat> and. Again, it's not solely me. James has ideas. Mark, we have ideas about beer. He listens. He's got ideas about brandy. Mark, it's still a team of, of stuff, but we kind of specialize in our little areas of responsibilities. Um, but that got me excited, and I was really on the cusp of I was about to make a big move um, somewhere else. Right when this brewery, it came to either you know kind of fish or cut bait. You know, it was like, am I in or am I out? And, and do I want to do it? And I decided to do it, and uh, I thought the, the driving thought was, one, it was scratching that entrepreneurial itch, and mm. two, I wondered would I be, be able to live myself later if I hadn't done it and I stayed in the corporate world, which was a good job, you know, and there's times I wish I had that job, you know, right now sometimes, you know, that I had some income to be able to support my family, uh, but um, anyway... I don't know if I forgot where I was going with all that, but that was kind of the idea. That's kind of how this thing got off the ground. And then from there, we built a business plan, a model, ideas, developed that out, and happenstance, sort of speak, we actually made this pitch that wasn't supposed to be a pitch, but we made a pitch off the cuff to some friends who had uh, a little group of folks that they were looking to invest in something, and they 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 got the pitch and they joined us in this so it's me james and uh, uh that are the managing partners that run the company david was one of the founders and then we have a small group of investors uh, a handful that right. really uh, have supported us and, and and are a part of our board we call that our board of directors we, we we meet you know to discuss the future the back what's going on and, and handle all these things together so we're a real small group of uh, even you know not only employee wise but even in ownership yeah, it's a closely knit group that's able to, you're kind of able to pivot and make decisions without having to go through a big long list of qualifications to make those decisions. Right. You know, it and does help that. And that, you know, hearing you say that y'all were, y'all created this business plan, you created this, you know, this platform, what you wanted to do with the company, and then had a, a non pitch pitch is like every entrepreneur is like vision. Right. Like, oh, I'm going to get my business plan, get my slides together, and I'm going to give a pitch and get funding, and we'll get everything off the ground. But like you said, it was happenstance. Right. Y'all were probably meeting, having dinner or something, and it came up in conversation. And they're like, well, we've actually got a group looking to invest. Why don't we, uh, why don't we talk more in detail about this and see what the numbers come out to be? Yep. So well, the way it actually happened, which is very similar to that, we had a buddy, uh, mm -hmm. Brian, who was a CPA, and I was doing some, and you know, um, my background is not finance, although I was in the finance industry and in the, in the municipal bond industry, but finance to a uh, point of more like uh, CPA stuff was not my niche. And so I was asking a couple of questions about filling out this pro forma. And they started asking, well, what's this for? And that's how that pitch well, and I told them what we were doing and what our goal was, and we were trying to, you know, attract some investors. Or at this time, we were still contemplating, you know, possibly doing an SBA like loan biz for the business. Right. And they said, "Well, why don't you give us the pitch? Let's hear it." I mean, literally I, on the spot. I'm sitting in the office, and three guys come in and boo the pitch, and that's what happened. So, 
worked out good because uh, they're, they're good dudes. They've got good ideas. They're, they're, they are, they're passionate about the brewery. They've got their own lives. They've got their successful careers in other places. They've got families. They've got other things, and they trust us to do the day-to-day, but they're involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think for any, anybody who's looking to start investing, you're, whenever you get that, that first you know, so leap, to invest, you're very hesitant to get put money in. But once you get through that and you trust the people that are running it, you know, nine times out of ten, you invest in the entrepreneur, not in the business idea. Right. Well, I mean, we didn't have a beer yet. Right. I mean, we had homebrew, but we didn't have the beer. We hadn't decided what beers, what styles. You know, they, they, were, uh, they were investing in James and myself and, then, and also in that idea of what this brand was and what we thought it could be. And, uh, and we, it's been slow. I mean, in the sense of like, you know, we, uh, uh, there was a lot of, but there was a big rush of craft breweries, right? And then there became right. a point, a saturation point almost too. And so where distributors in South Louisiana were ready to d- grab every craft brewery, yes, come join our, our, our team. So it went, eh, we may need to slow down. And then we had to kind of, we had to kind of fight through that and prove ourselves, prove our brand, prove our beer, prove our strategy. Right. Uh, and so literally we just launched uh, in Bat, I mean, excuse me, uh, we, we launched in Baton Rouge two years ago. And we launched in New Orleans this past January. Had about okay. a month's worth of time to get work and get stuff done. Did several events. Was in places, several places down there. Um, uh, met some great people that were helping us with Crescent Crown. Um, uh, uh, ha- had a buddy with Brood and Distilled out of New Orleans that was helping us get in some doors. And everything was going pretty good. And then COVID came along. And so, um, you know, it's ironic that I think today uh, the announcement was that the bars are going to be able to open back in New Orleans. See, their parish had already been below the 5% threshold, Mm -hmm. but there was a concern that Bourbon Street would quickly turn into a spreader. And so they've kept that closed. Now, I don't know all the details of it, but I believe they're open. And that means that I'll hopefully be back down there calling on some businesses and trying to – trying to push some more uh, Flying Tiger beer around. Yeah, I think that is going to, whenever bars and breweries can get to that point where they're starting to, you know, breweries specifically call out undue sales calls, I think right. they're just going to wake up, like, pop out of bed at 4 a.m. and say, let's get let's right. get to sales calls. I mean, nobody, I mean, it, during this time, there's a little bit of marketing I can do, and most of it is, or talk, call, sales calls, mostly it's to the direct you know, to the cut, to that, to the bar itself, right? Right. But, but kind of our strategy though is also going out and getting the liquid to the lips and getting out with people and letting them try our beers. You know, uh, as a brewery that's from North Louisiana and we're still introducing ourselves to places in South Louisiana, people want to try the beer. Well, they're not really ready for me to come out and start handing out samples, right? In during COVID time just yeah. yet. So, but we're doing stuff. It is slowly getting back on track, and hopefully we'll we'll catch some steam, you know, soon. Yeah, and I think that, you know, events are starting to pop up in a controlled fashion, and people are starting to get back out into a normal routine. I know I've done an event a couple weeks ago with the Bourbon Society of Baton Rouge. We had Lost Cove, and we had a small group of like 30 people come out, and it was a ticketed event. And I've got another event in November with Jada Cody out at Point Marie that we're going to be doing another live event, again, with a controlled group. But we're starting to see that events are slowly picking back up. So maybe it's, you know, let's reach out to this place and let's have a small beer tasting event. You know, <clears throat> while it may be 50 or 60 people, depending on the size of the event and the space, it's still getting the liquid to the mouths, like you said. 
and just that one step after another. And then you've got people going to their local grocers and they're asking, do you carry flying tiger? You know, if I go to Rouse's, I'm gonna say, hey, do you carry flying tiger? You know, you'll find it there. And then if you're going somewhere else that may not carry it, people say, okay, well, let me call my distributor. Hey, do you have flying tiger? I had six people come in today and ask about it. Ask for flying tiger. Help us out. <laughs> Absolutely. And you won't be disappointed. You know, I, I tell you what makes my job easy is knowing that that the product is good. Right. We've got some beers at this one we hadn't drank yet. We've got we got Juicy, and, man, that looks beautiful. looks like orange juice. Um, mm-hmm. We've got some beers that kind of put us on the map. Juicy, the original Juicy uh, is one of those. Final Resting Place, which was the beer that really kind of got the beer geeks excited in South Louisiana. It's our New England-style double IPA. You know, rated by them as one of the best ones, and there's a lot of good ones, so I'm not, I don't want to claim our stuff's best because I, I think it can almost change yearly like with different beers, you know. So we're proud of those beers, that's what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, we've got our flagship beers are great. We've got plenty of great beers. Uh, we're going to add another juicy, hazy beer to this lineup as well. Um, and then I, I, and I'm personally, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm excited about seltzers. Now, we, we, uh, we decided, uh, and I love the fun side. Let me tell you, I, I, look, I want to put fun in beer. If beer's not fun, what, am I, what are we doing, right? Yeah. I mean, if we can't have fun with beer, uh, what are we doing, right? Yeah. So I want to have fun. I like doing silly stuff. I like pushing the envelope a little bit. The f- people that are familiar with our brand in Baton Rouge know some of the things I've done to push the envelope a little bit with some of our marketing during uh, – uh, uh, LSU football games and stuff like that, and uh, I like having fun with it. I want to be careful; I don't want to offend anybody, but I like having fun. If we're not having fun, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, beer should not be snobbery. Beer should be fun. It should still there is a lot uh, to enjoy and learn, and there is an etiquette and stuff involved with all this. But we got to be having fun too, and I'm, I like to have fun. So, right. you know, uh, I wear everywhere I go. I wear sh- daily. I have a shirt on that says "Drink Heroic Beer," and and just you know, and, and just as I'm a walking billboard, man, I just I wear it every day, everywhere I go. People are probably tired of seeing me in them, but um, you know, it's paid off. Last year, I got on a streak. I ended up on TV in the background of you know LSU's you know glorious season. I ended up in the background a number of times on TV uh, when game day came uh, to LSU. Uh, when uh, Jada Cody was uh, doing the Home Depot grilling and had the alligator. There I was when um, uh, John Goodman was there, and he was doing a different dish, and he was there. I was there in the back. And and there's all these pictures of me with this drink heroic beer in the background of these things. And then when LSU went to Nashville last year and drank the town dry, I didn't know Nashville could run out of alcohol, but they did. Clearly they did. And and I was at the LSU alumni event. I'm not an alumni, but we sponsored that event because it's a way that LSU has a a deal with a big domestic beer, and so they can't really do anything with me personally or any brewery that for that other than that so but out of town like that i we actually sell a little bit of beer in nashville so i had a spot we did something and then i and i forgive me for forgetting the guy's name that's a sports guy on one a, a big sports guy on one of the news stations set up live and he just set his thing up like your thing right here and he was standing right there next to me i was at the table and i was like is this about to give me a beer i gotta have a beer and so he gets live and i and there and like i had so many people text me like you know with me in the background doing like this <laughs> flying tiger well, yeah everywhere. Well, fly, and, and drink heroic beer on my shirt and that and Anyway, I, man, I love having fun with it, right? You know, right. And, and so, anyway, 
it's, it, I'm, I'm ready to get back to having fun is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about marketing, especially a brewery. You know, you have to have fun. You have to be creative. People don't want to see the same plain advertising. Drink our beer. You yeah. know, it's you riding on a skateboard. Oh, you saw with, that? With, absolutely, I saw <laughs> that. You know, doing Instagram stories and just drinking the beer and like, you know, just product placement and placing it in areas where it's going to be seen, to me, is more powerful as a brand than it is for you to push your commercials, you know, right. all the time. Now, I'm not saying commer- commercials work 100%, but for somebody who's trying to appeal to a different audience, that's they want to be sold more on the brand, more on the behind-the-scenes backstory. It's okay, they're, they look like a fun brand. Right. Seeing you going on a skateboard and Instagram post is like, all right, they're a fun, cool brand. Let's get on board and let's see what their product tastes like. You know, it's it's. I hope you're that, sold on the brand well, before you even taste. Well, the product. we hope that works. We hope that works. I mean, you know, uh, we want people to try the beer because I'm I'm convinced we have a beer or a style because everybody drinks a little something different right. that they'll like. I'm convinced of that. If you're into juicy, juicy hazy beers, I'll put juicy up against any of them. And, and there's some great beers. Please don't misinterpret that. Right. There are some great beers, and there's some breweries out there that James and I admire and respect and have done a great job. And when they succeed, we're actually happy for them, and we want them to. Um, not everybody in the beer industry is as friendly as others, but I know who they are, and, and there's some that we root for, and we're happy uh, for them when they do well. Um, uh, that was leading me to the seltzer. Now, seltzers are not super sexy. There's nothing like out well, of Well, they are now. Well, they are popular. They are getting very popular. And so, popular. like my buddy James, who we're close friends, you know, he was in my way and I was in his. And, uh, and um, you know, he's not super excited about making seltzers because he's more of a purist and a chef and he loves developing these. And, but, but I want to give him some credit because there's people making seltzers and they ain't that great. And you ain't had ours yet, I know, because it's not in distribution. But this seltzer, crystal clear like it's supposed to be, great nose, Great flavor, 6% alcohol. When we're ready, we'll release it. We'll put out the nutritional information. Once we're done, we're going to have that done and let you know. And I'm excited about this seltzer getting in the hands of people. Now, we made the seltzer uh, as the backdrop of this uh, story is is because, not as I mentioned, the only thing I can sell here alcohol-wise is what, you is, is what we make. Right. So there's always somebody in a group that doesn't drink beer, right? Oh, bro, I don't really drink beer. And so, you know, their ideal of beer is a little bit different, but it doesn't matter. They don't drink yeah. beer. That's my wife. And so, right. And so we made this seltzer light, refreshing, easy to drink. Doesn't taste like a beer because it's technically not like a beer, but it's brewed. And so we're allowed but to make it. And so... Um, uh, we made this for the tap room originally just because we wanted to have an offering for folks who don't drink beer and wanted something else. And there's some other brews out there that I know um, James wants to make, uh, uh, a Berliner Weiss. He wants to make some stuff like that that are, don't taste like beers as well, and that'll be coming soon as well. I know he wants to make one of those. And, uh, and so we want to have some offerings, and they're delicious, by the way, but we, you know, we want to have some offerings for some things that don't taste like beer. And, and we have some, and that, that was the reason we even started this. We weren't trying to jump on the bandwagon uh, as much as we just wanted to have an offering in the tap room in case there was somebody that didn't like beer. We wanted to try this. And we got rave reviews when we released it in the tap room. The people came, loved it, uh, and I'm excited about it, you know, when it gets completely perfected to have it, you know, have it out there and have people try it. I think, I think we'll, you know, 
I'm not saying we're going to be knocking, you know, truly in white claw off the shelf, but right. uh, but I think there's a niche for a local seltzer that's good. There is still a local is still a niche. It's still a thing. It's still real. Like I and when I got in this business, I don't think I was truly. Uh, appreciative of what local meant as much as I am today. I, I, I always want to support local before, but now really, you know, we have a choice, you know, let's, let's, uh, and, and it starts it, it, with beer at least. I mean, know where your beers are coming from, you know. I know you may like some of them, but if there's a local option that satisfies what you're looking for, choose the local. Because, and the main reason is because if it's not, that dollar is leaving the state. It's going somewhere else. And trust me, Texas is focusing on Texas beers and, and other places on their beers. Louisiana needs to focus on e even all the way down to what you have in your fridge when your guests come. You need to have at least a little bit of local beer if you have beer at all, I'm saying. Right, you right, know, right. Choose the local option if it satisfies what you're looking for. And so we know how big seltzers are. I'm hoping that uh, we can compete with them uh, on, on flavor and on price. And, and and give you an opportunity to choose something local with seltzers. That's kind of where we're headed, but we hope to head, but we'll see. Yeah, and it's what is the difference, you know, technically speaking, between a seltzer and a beer? I know in, in you know, in imagery and in flavor, it's entirely different, but the brewing process. So uh, without getting into, a, you know, a, a class on essentially a, a beer has four things in it. It right. has It has water. It has grain, it has yeast, and it has hops. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every beer has those four. Different styles will have additional things as well, right? right? right. And so the main difference is is that uh, this is made not with grains. It's okay. made with a, uh, a sugar byproduct. So to explain, like, oh, that sounds... Well, let me tell you how beer is made briefly is that when you use grain... The grain does two things. One, it provides the color. So all these colors in these beers, including that one, mm. have to do with what color the grain was. Okay, was, we don't add color to the beer. So it's created by that grain. Uh, but what you're doing with that grain is you're extracting all the sugars out of that grain. Remember I said you had mm -hmm. that sugar water? Yeah, yeah. You're just taking all those, you're, you're boiling this up and, not boiling, but you're heating all that up and extracting the sugars out. And you're making sugar water, colored sugar water. Mm -hmm. This is sugar water with no color. So instead of extracting sugars, we just start with a sugar base in this with the hot water. Okay. And so this is sugar base. It's not like we're pouring white sugar in there, but we have a, we, it's a sugar base, and it has uh, water, and it has flavoring. Uh, but they're, and, and, you know, it's made with yeast as well, but it doesn't have any hops. Okay. Excuse me. Gotcha. So it's very basic. It is, it, it is very, very basic. But let me tell you what, I, 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 listen, I can make a, right, not me, James, we can make a beer mm -hmm. and it can be whatever we want and call it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no standard, right? It's ours. Right. When you get to making beer beer, like this Burma Blonde, mm -hmm. straightforward but delicious lager, tailgater, picnic table, football game kind of beer, you know, crawfish beer, it's a beer beer. It's harder to make. You know why? Because everyone knows what it's supposed to be like, and it has to be on point. See, you got to meet certain standards. That's right. When I'm, uh, we make something we want, we can call it right. whatever we want, and there's nothing else to compare it to. You don't know. Yeah. Let me tell you. Seltzer's. Seltzer's a little bit more difficult than people thought. Not everybody's got good ones. If you don't believe me, go out and try them. 
Try some other local seltzers. I'm excited for people to try this one. So that's why I'm, I want to, although James isn't like super excited about these, <laughs> I want to give him a shout out because he's made a good one. And that's, and believe it or not, it's a little harder than people think. Oh, yeah. And that's sometimes it's always harder to make the more commonly known brews yeah. than it is to make a very, very craft brew. Because like right. you said, people expect a certain flavor. They expect a certain level or a range within that brew right but if you're making a specific craft brew specific to you then it doesn't matter what it is right it may be similar but right. it doesn't have to be there's not this real defined range for it to be in necessarily right. yeah so kind of starting to wrap up getting to the end of the show you've done you've done finance in a degree and you've done youth pastor and you've also done this brewery now doing the marketing side of things what are some lessons you've learned along the way maybe three different lessons <clears throat> okay well i didn't know that was going to be a question <laughs> but uh, you know and this some of this is you know somewhat cliche you know but there's never going to be the perfect time if you have that entrepreneurial itch most likely it's not going to go away and at some point you might have some regrets and listen we all have responsibilities we all have you know mine included a family right, right. so you, you can't just you know you know quit and just say you're going to do something so you I mean you got to be measured and you got to be careful you know and i think for most people i would say hang on to the real job as long as you can while you're making that transition right mm -hmm. you don't want to put all your chips in on one thing at ever right so uh luckily i've got a wife who who, who uh, supports this sarah and has done a good job she has a job thank god you know you know that you know makes money and we can kind of keep our own lights on at the house as well and uh but um, I would say, um, gosh, mine are kind of specific to, to the brewing industry. But if I think about, entre about entrepreneurial stuff, you know, yeah. I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, it's, if you're pat <laughs> Look, I don't know if a business is going to make it or not, right? I, right. I mean, I think you got to do your homework. you got to do your due diligence. you got to really think about, are you scratching an itch or are you scratching your own itch? Because there's a difference. Hey, I love this. I think everyone's going to love it. Well, you need to know if you're scratching some, yeah. an itch that's yours or just someone or if it really belongs to uh, enough people to support your business, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, no perfect time. So, man, just, you know, I, I mean, I encourage people to, you know, I don't want them to, like, go all in financially, you know, and, and be vulnerable. But, you know, I want to encourage you to take that because, uh, listen, I gave up. You know, I was a municipal bond broker. I gave up a lot financially, but I'll be honest with you, I found a lot of satisfaction in just being a part of this brand and helping my partners and I, you know, push yeah. this brand forward. Yeah. There's a lot of satisfaction that oh comes gosh, from doing yes. what you love. You know, that's as an old saying, you know, do what you love and never work a day in your life. It's <laughs> there's so much there's truth to that. It's true, but I, James right now doing 16-hour <laughs> days back there is going, eh, about that it's still a little bit of work i it's have a feeling a lot, a lot of work um but it but that's expected that's part of you know I, you know so i guess everybody kind of has in their mind you know at some point with a business a sort of financial picture they hope to hit right and in in between getting that you think that's the that's the happiness and you hear people say enjoy the process and again i know this sounds cliche but you know what you got to you got to enjoy I, listen like i said i enjoy having the fun and getting out there and if i'm going to base it solely on the financial picture i might not ever 
be happy, right? right. Be, you know, um, I, again, I'm not ignoring the, the bills I got to pay and the responsibilities I have. But, man, enjoy. If you like it, then if, if, it ain't, if it's not fun, then why are we doing it? I'd apply that to anything. Absolutely. Right? Now, listen, there are some times when we have a job that the income overcomes and you go, you know what, I can give up the fun for this, right? And that was, I enjoyed the municipal bond business, I, mainly because I had relationships with guys out there in the world who were, who were financial advisors, financial planners who ran big, big firms with big, big money, big money. And, uh, and we made friends, and I enjoyed those relationships and, and uh, working with those guys and getting to know them and their families and all that. And so I, it, I, I, I found my own way to get some personal satisfaction out of it other than the monetary side of it. Um, and, I, I, you know, you got to – I don't know if I have three. Let's see. What's, let's see. I, think that's, I think you pretty much nailed, you know, what the message that you're trying to get across is. If you're not having fun with what you're doing – in your entrepreneurial journey, why are you even, why'd you start it? Right. You know, if you get in a startup or you get in your own company and you just like, man, this is miserable. I hate what I'm doing. It's like, then why, why'd you start it in the first place? And maybe having that thought of, oh, I started it because of this. So long as it's not purely derived by monetary right. aspirations, I think you're going to find yourself along the way being so much happier than if you're staying at this job just for the money. Right. You know, People get so driven by the fact that they go, oh, I got to get this money, got to get this money. But it's like, okay, well, there's more to life than just, you know, having all this cash or all this money. Right. Now you can get your time off and go do whatever you want to do. But yeah, that's fine, but you're going to spend a majority of your life working. And I'm not going to ignore the correlation that exists between, you know, uh, your product in the financial side of it because that's one way we measure how people respond to us, right? right. You know, people are buying it. It's like, so I'm not ignoring that part, yeah, right? Course. You want to make something. As, as, as James is a beer creator and I as a brander, we want to create something people like, right? I mean, I want you to like it, and I want you to buy it, but it's because it's a measure of of how well we did, not so much the financial part of it. But we, we, you know, we everybody's got to make a living, right? I mean, again, I'm not ignoring the reality, man. Is I'm not making beer so we can go broke, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we got to We got to make. We got to make money. Right. And, and so you so, can keep on making the beer. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. I love it. So, what is something that you love about Monroe? that might attract people to come out here outside of the brewery? So there's a lot of things that I think you could come to uh, 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 to Monroe to do. Uh, we've got uh, uh, plenty of stuff around. We've got, we've got Black Bayou National For uh, uh, Reserve. Uh, uh, you can come up and see that. There's a ton of other things within the vicinity of that. We've got, we've got lots of parks. We've got Caroli Park that has a biking path on it out there we've, in West Monroe. Uh, we've got... Uh, there's other things that can draw you here. We've got Ike Hamilton in West Monroe that has rodeos, uh, BMX events, motocross. We, and we've, got, we've had those in Monroe, too, at our own Civic Center. But I'm just thinking of some stuff that's going on around here. Uh, but what we do have is we have one, and again, I consider us the twin city, so I'm not, I'm not denying what we have on, in Monroe versus West Monroe. West Monroe, right across the river from in here, is Antique Alley. Uh, I'm one of those guys that likes to stroll through there and see if I can find, you know, some mid-century modern something laying around that somebody, you know, <laughs> I, I might pick up. But we've got a 
great if you love window shopping and love doing antique alley kind of stuff we've got that uh, right across the river we've got some uh, i'll tell you what we've got that you need to come for we've got some great local restaurants uh, we've got great chains We've got walk-ons. We've got all that, too. Uh, and, I, and they support us, and they carry a beer, all those chains, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, etc. So I don't want to ignore the importance of those places. But, you know, two blocks down, we've got Chef Corey Barr's Parish, uh, who uh, won uh, a number of things, and he was a runner-up on the uh, – uh, 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 the next top chef I, I forget the exact name of the show sorry but we hosted that watch party here it was great Jada Cody's been up here and done a, a food event with Corey here at, at our brewery uh, we've got a number of restaurants I don't want to leave any about but we've got Two Dudes Barbecue we've got Janusa's we've got Waterfront uh, uh, water, not water, yeah, we do have Waterfront Grill but we also have Warehouse right here uh, we've got a, low, a lot of uh, Catahoulas is a brand new place I, I'm gonna, somebody's going to be mad we've got that I'm going to forget them, but we've got a lot of small, independent, great food, food places in Monroe that come up here that I, that I believe will compete with the things that you would expect if you visited South Louisiana, including New Orleans. We've got some great Italian. We've got some great seafood. We've got some great stuff, and with our own little twist on it. So right. restaurants shouldn't be ignored when you come up here, and I'm probably forgetting some other things that would bring you. Uh, another, other, uh, we've got ULM. We've got the university. got a great pharmacy school, nursing school top rated stuff we now have a medical school that just opened this year as part of the ulm uh, uh campus as well we've got this phen phenomenal water ski team that's won you know 20 national championships oh, wow. and stuff like that so we've got water we've got bayou we've got the washita river we've got stuff to do uh if you want to know what to do i would say go to uh discover monroe west monroe it's the convention visitor center's convention here okay. and they'll have a lot of things there for you to find that you can do and see what's going on in this kind of twin city area perfect man thank you so much for that and for one final question what can i do to help you <sighs> That's a great question. You know, I, I think you're doing it, which is you're highlighting local people doing stuff. I want to encourage people. At the same time, you're given an opportunity to, to, to remind people of how important it is to, to buy local because it keeps that money in the economy. Whatever money I might get out of this is going to be spent right back here, right? It's going to right. be spent in the state of Louisiana. And, and I can't tell you how important that is when I look at that kind of that flow of that, of that economic dollar. Uh, what you can do for us is you're doing it. You're giving us some exposure through your show to tell people about Flying Tiger, the connection we have not only to Monroe but to the state, to LSU. Uh, we're in New Orleans, so we'll be back there now that the bars are opening. Absolutely. We'll be down there pushing some product and introducing you to it. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. It was, for me, well worth the drive to come out here for sure. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for making so, the trip. We're, we're honored to have you. Absolutely. And for those watching or listening, um, thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Be sure and check out the Flying Tiger Brewery and make a trip out here to Monroe, Louisiana. It's a little drive, but it's definitely worth it. And you will for surely not be disappointed. And y'all for listening and watching, I am Patty G from the Patty G Show here with Rob, Flying Tiger. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. Drink a rug beer.